This is Scott Becker with the Becker's Healthcare Podcast. Thrilled today to be joined by Darren Withy. Darren's a principal with ECG Management Consultants. He leads the firm's strategy services practice. ECG is one of the best-renowned consulting firms in the healthcare universe, truly magnificent. Darren himself has two decades of experience working with health systems, hospitals, and physician organizations, and a whole variety of ambulatory planning initiatives. Truly a gifted person in the space. Darren, can you take a moment to introduce yourself, and then we'll dive into the, the, the substance of the discussion. Absolutely, Scott. And first, I want to thank you for inviting me to today's podcast. My name is Darren Libby, and I'm a principal in ECG's strategy and business advisory division and lead the firm's strategy services. I joined ECG in 2000, and prior to that, I worked with a health system managing physician business development and overseeing the hospital-employed physician group. I am an avid listener of the podcast and really grateful to have the opportunity to share my perspective today, Scott. We're thrilled to get to visit with you. Let me start off with a general question. Sort of, given what's going on in ambulatory strategic planning, can you take a couple minutes to share what you're seeing as the key market drivers that are driving ambulatory initiatives with hospitals and health systems that they're sort of looking at? What are some of the big drivers you're seeing? Yes, Scott, I think that is a great place to start. And, you know, ECG, we're experiencing with our clients really a confluence of several market trends that are accelerating the growth of healthcare services in the ambulatory environment. And this includes a broad range of services ranging from wellness type visits all the way to complex outpatient surgical procedures. And the demand for these outpatient services has and will continue to grow, I think, at a much faster rate than the acute care overnight hospital stays. You know, on a one decade long study from 2007 to 2017, I think highlights this point with that data showing that the outpatient encounters per capita grew at 16% compared to an 11% decline per capita on inpatient utilization over the same period. And we believe this trajectory will continue for several reasons. You know, one of those is that reimbursement models are transitioning from fee-for-service to value and total cost of care. And this pressure that is coming from public and private payers along with patients really to reduce the cost of care is fueling this transition to lower cost settings. You, you see this with you know, one regulatory change you know, that happened with uh, cardiac catheterizations and the, the 12 procedures that moved from Medicare's um, patient only to then the, the ASC um, approved list. And that exposes about $3.7 billion in hospital revenues that could potentially shift outpatient settings. So these reimbursement trends, we think, are a key driver. And then secondarily, technology advancements. And these are both enabling those surgical and other procedures to move to outpatient and ASC settings. But technology is also creating new ways to interact and treat patients, such as virtual visits and remote remote monitoring. And the, the clinical advancements in surgery, as you very well know, Scott, that the movement and the migration of inpatient cases to the outpatient ASC setting you know, has a material impact on health system revenues and contribution margins, but we view it as a great opportunity to capture uh, new growth and, and volume for those, those organizations. And I think just to cap us out, maybe that the final trend would be consumer expectations, and we can dive into that maybe in a little greater detail as we carry on. Well, thank you. I mean, it's a fascinating perspective. Literally, the increase in outpatient encounters will, inpatient encounters decrease. 
also this concept that just a small number of codes, 12 codes in the cardiovascular space can literally mean $3.7 billion that's at play that can now move, that couldn't move before. I mean, it's, it's a fascinating number. It's an astounding number for a small number of codes. Talk to us about, there, there's all these different market forces that are influencing how people use their capital. There's also this great question about, do we need more sites? How many sites do we need? We want to be where patients want, you know, where they want us, when they want us. But how do you then rationalize an approach defining the range of services and locations? How do, how do systems look at that from a strategic perspective? How many sites, what services, how do they go about assessing that? Yes, Scott, we help advise clients really from a, an analytics standpoint and looking at, you know, their success and the plans that they develop have to take into account the increasingly competitive dynamic, whether it's new market competitors or existing providers in the community that are going to become competitors as business shifts and how they align organizational resources to those, those market opportunities. So we really first focus on and would advise clients to look at, look at data and to conduct a market assessment to not only look at what the, the clinical needs of the community are, but also look at their clinical portfolio and understand what services they have in place, how those exist today, and how they may look in the future. Begin to do demand modeling on that data and, and taking into account really the consumer expectations that we believe are heightening um, related to the use of whether it's digital health applications or other ways that they evaluate their care, really the patient-consumer approach around convenience and access. So modeling out different scenarios that look at the the need in various market segments from a, a provider standpoint, and then looking at the facilities that are currently in place, and then that market demand triangulating it to really define a network of facilities and providers that are going to offer really a, a comprehensive set of services in a community and outlying areas that can capitalize on the growth in the ambulatory sector. And then the final part would really be looking at payer contracting strategies that tie in really the gains that can be realized once you establish that more robust clinical and ambulatory network. Take a moment and talk about what's changed with COVID and of the changes, what will last past the pandemic? What is going to continue on into the long run, you know, even when COVID tends to sort of decelerate or die down? Yes. So, Scott, before COVID, you know, to highlight, you know, our clients were defining digital health ambulatory plans that focused on, you know, how they were able to better engage patients and increase access. And, you know, while these plans were aspirational, you know, adoption was, quite frankly, really slow. And it was because of an immediate uh, lack of return on investment, limited consumer demand. And the COVID pandemic, while it's placed unprecedented strain on our health systems, and most notably, the media has covered the acute care setting. The ambulatory environment has also, I think, gone through a transformation of trying to provide safe places for care and utilizing virtual visits and digital health technology to really maintain access to care for patients. And we see that the continuation of virtual visits and other ways in which patients can access care in more convenient and accessible ways will will remain in the industry and will be a core component of health system strategies in terms of how they 
carry out ambulatory services and how they connect patients to the continuum of care that they offer within their organizations. And we believe the economic models are going to support this, this type of care and that patients will demand it and will continue to be a core component. It won't replace the bricks and mortar and the face-to-face. That is going to continue to be the core services delivered. But we think that COVID will forever change the patient perception and perspective around at least their initial visits and, and for the most part, follow-up care that can be done via technology versus in-person care. Fantastic. Thank you. And and fascinating perspective on the mix of bricks and mortar plus tele and virtual and how it will play together going forward and what the long-term sort of allocation will look like. Take a moment and talk about physician alignment. Some systems seem to be dealing with some level of fatigue over the finances of employing physicians. Others seem to be all in. What are you seeing amongst your client base in terms of employment of physicians or other approaches to establishing relationships with physicians. What's the sense of what you're seeing, Darren? Yeah, Scott, we are seeing a bit of fatigue related to the employment of physicians. And while a core component of any health system strategy, in particular in the ambulatory environment, is to have financially and clinically integrated uh, physicians. And employment was viewed for uh, many industry leaders as the preferred model But the data is currently showing that losses or the direct support per physician are between $275 and $300,000 per physician. And ECG conducts a variety of surveys that that triangulate that data. And so we're seeing clients really pursue more pluralistic physician partnership approaches. So not just employment, but pursuing ways in which they can link with physicians both to drive clinical integration in finding ways that they have economic alignment through financial integration models to create a comprehensive integrated provider network that becomes the foundational component of their health system on the ambulatory as well as the inpatient acute care side for delivering services in in new ways and innovative ways that require those physician partnerships to drive that clinical delivery. And talk about this for a second. The number that people had always bandied about was losing 100000 per physician or so. And you're saying that that number has grown tremendously over the last five to 10 years. That's correct, Scott. The rise in level of direct support required to operate employed practices has increased dramatically over the last number of years. Operating costs, including support staff, wages and benefits, and costs associated with practice infrastructure, such as EHRs and physician comp relative production, has outpaced the revenue that physician practices are able to generate. And I believe these direct losses are really at an unsustainable level, uh, given the fact that the contribution margins of some of the downstream services are just not the level that they historically have been. So health systems really have to take an active approach to reimagining how they organize physician practices to reduce the direct operating losses. And I'd recommend that they evaluate a few areas for change, including redesigning workflows to reduce labor costs and increase patient throughput. You know, high priority should be ensuring that team members are really practicing to the top of their license and looking to employ advanced practice providers to support physicians. And then it is also a, a difficult thing to take on, but modifying physician compensation plans to establish better alignment uh, of the overall practice of the, of the enterprise to the physicians is certainly something that should be evaluated 
Thank you very much. We've talked about financial challenges that health systems are facing, including fatigue with physician costs and losses, even though physicians are so important to the overall mission. What advice do you have for organizations to successfully prioritize and implement ambulatory strategies and capital strategies? How do you overcome these challenges and still have the money to invest? And where do you put that money? How do you prioritize and implement? There are a couple of things that we help clients work through. I mean, one are frameworks that will look at the, evaluate the impact of the, the specific initiative, um, both from a, a strategic and an operational financial basis, and then begin to prioritize those as they tie into the broader strategic ambitions of the organization. Um, and we'll look at the the uh, investment in terms of both facilities as well as talent, that being physicians, providers, and other resources as elements that can you leverage those elements in the ambulatory environment that can help drive operational effectiveness and success across the enterprise that transitions into the other care settings. And using those frameworks is important, but I'd also you know highlight the fact that you know strategy requires a culture to execute. And, you know, the saying that culture eats strategy for lunch, I think it applies to most organizations and probably all in the healthcare setting. And so we've actually um, embed some organizational structure elements that are that try to shift that culture from more of a hospital centric to a, an integrated health system standpoint using clinical service line constructs, et cetera, to help drive the coordination of investment in the ambulatory area across the enterprise. So it's less about the conflict of, do I prioritize acute care capital at the expense of ambulatory investment, but to think about it from the continuum of services across a clinical program or service line helps to, I think, elevate the recognition of those investments. So some organizational structure changes and management constructs can also help uh, prioritize and execute on strategies. Thank you very much. And then, as your clients are looking at investing ambulatory in ambulatory services, what are some of your clients doing well, or what kind of guidance are you giving to your clients how they can differentiate themselves and make themselves sort of stand out and do great in these areas? Yeah, the key to being you know ind- indispensable is what, how we'll frame it with some of our health system clients. You know, is creating a comprehensive and geographically convenient ambulatory network that has a variety of different access sites. So one of the first strategic elements that we'll recommend is in working to establish uh, provider network integrity. So I talked about how you define network adequacy in your markets and, and move to configure the right provider resources to care for that population. But it's also about forging the partnership with those providers in a highly integrated fashion that ensures that the patient transitions really remain within the system. And so this is the foundational step that's important in particular in markets with increasing competition from newer existing uh, providers. And the ability to create that network integrity and those levels of clinical and financial integration are really important to being able to execute on more specific ambulatory strategies that may be, you know, investment in an, in an ambulatory surgery center or how they carry out, you know, the advancement of diagnostic imaging centers into the market. So that typically is a, is a top priority. 
And then we're also, you know, working with, with organizations to think about new markets and not necessarily defining their service area from the standpoint of inpatient admissions, but the fact that ambulatory services really presents an opportunity to drive top line revenue growth and increase margin. If operated correctly, those ambulatory sites uh, can be deployed into markets in which hospitals don't have acute care facilities. And we'll refer to this as an asset light strategy. So entering a market without a inpatient facility, but doing it in a way that you have a large, more robust ambulatory sites that are you know, utilizing the existing provider network to then bring in both diagnostic and interventional services such as ambulatory surgery, imaging, cardiac testing, oncology services, et cetera, that organizations really able to expand their, their market area and grow top line revenue by taking a broader approach to their market conditions. And I think at ECG, we recognize that you know, certain strategies may apply more broadly to the industry, um, but our approach is to really recognize the client situation. And as I started earlier in the conversation today about the, you know, using market data and analytics to be able to identify opportunities and then tailor those strategic plans to meet the goals and build on the existing strengths and capabilities of the organization is ultimately what we would advise clients to do. Fantastic. And, and Darren, how do people reach you and learn more about ECG if, if health systems want to speak to you about their plans and strategies and so forth? Yeah, I think there are two easy ways. That the first would be through my email address, which is dlibby at ecgmc.com, or to visit our website at www.ecgmc.com. And we have a variety of thought leadership and various uh, materials that clients can access across an array of strategic and performance transformation and pair contracting areas. So I really appreciate the time uh, today to share some initial thoughts on the topic of ambulatory strategy with you, Scott, and look forward to listening to more of your podcast in the future. Darren, a great pleasure to visit with you. Truly spectacular what ECG has built in terms of intellectual capital and, and really bright people who are working with health systems. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. Have a wonderful day.